0: Or be present to win. Visit LampkinGuitars.com to scope out the Hemp Guitar giveaway details and entry form. You'll even find a video of what could be your guitar in action. L-A-M-K-I-N-Guitars.com
1: Take the guesswork out of your cannabis shopping with ECS DNA Kit by Endo Canna Health. I did this years ago, and it continues to empower me to get nerdy with my cannabis choices, which you know I like. If you've watched our Cannabis Legalization News podcast, did you know that right now you can save 25% off your DNA test at endodna.com? That's E-N-D-O-D-N-A dot com. And use promo code POD25. That is P-O-D, the number two, the number five. Your purchase includes the Endodna Collection. kit. Ca- Endo-decoded report, personalized cannabinoid and terpene suggestion, endo-aligned product matching in your state, suggested to guidelines, and optimum methods of administration. Once you know your personal ECS data, you can shop endo supplements tailored specifically for you. And right now, EndoDNA is celebrating their new patent with a BOGO offer on their Afeca soft gels lineup. Since so many of you struggle with sleep, I want to highlight Afeca Unwind. Created to support healthy sleep cycles using a patented proprietary formula of hemp derived CBD, terpenes, and essential oils. His sleep is eluding you. Sweet dreams are made of this. So buy one, get one, my friend. You can shop online at ENDODNA.com. And don't forget promo code POD25 at checkout to save 25% on your DNA test kit. It is 420 somewhere. Thanks for joining us. We have Elizabeth Franklin. Best a federal appeals attorney. This is going to be an interesting one. Let's get into it. Hey, Elizabeth. Elizabeth, can you tell us about yourself?
2: Sure. So I'm a criminal appellate lawyer in South Carolina. I've got my own law firm. We represent primarily federal criminal defendants throughout the country. We pretty much handle cases on direct appeal. We do a lot of federal post conviction work. We do state federal, or we, we do federal habeas cases for state convicted inmates. Well, that's neat. A lot of compassionate release petitions these days. Really, kind of our goal is once somebody's been convicted of a crime and they've been sentenced, it's our job to either reverse that sentence or to try to get their time reduced. And that's the space that we're in.
1: That's really cool. I've always, because I'm a lawyer, and I've never done criminal law. Like I've been, I got finance. I, I found out what finance was in law school. And so I immediately became a stockbroker after I graduated from law school in 2008. Wrong timing, let me tell you. And I'd hear this about these habeas petitions. And I'm like, what is that? By the way, so when you say this is habeas, is it habeas corpus? Or what is a habeas petition?
2: Yeah, a petition for a habeas, a habeas relief. So after you, somebody, let's just say somebody's been convicted in state court, they have an opportunity to challenge their conviction in their state sort of area, right? Their state court. But once they've exhausted that, they have an opportunity to ask the federal court to take a look at their conviction. That's a really high standard. The federal courts have a lot of, sort of deference towards state court convictions. But if you're someone who believes that you've been you know, incarcerated in, in in violation of a federal principle or law, then you can ask the federal courts to get involved in your case and review your conviction. That's essentially what federal habeas is. So is that all part of the
1: appeals process or is that separate? I'm just trying to understand. Again, this is why you go to lawyers because like, I don't. So I witnessed and actually witnessed a, the process a friend of mine last he was a, a dispensary owner he had several shops in the grow and finally got prosecuted he, he's on the seventh year of a ten year sentence but I saw the appeals process as well so mm-hmm. they actually was heard I think it was a ninth si- district and yeah. it's on YouTube you can watch it mm-hmm. but I was under the impression though that was his last chance like y- you can't do no more appeals or is there like a one shot because it just again the reason why is those was cannabis, why he was in prison. there was a hundred percent, no guns involved, no pills, I mean, no, nothing It was just he had a pot shot. That's what he got caught doing. And I was watching the attorney, if you watch it on YouTube, there's some like parts of the argument. you're like, "Oh, why't well, you just point this out or point this out?" But the circuit judges at the end seem very still single-minded. And we're going to prosecute this guy no matter what, because he had a.
2: Yeah, you got a couple of interesting points there. First of all, you're right. When somebody has been convicted of crime, people have very little idea about what the appellate space looks like. It's been watching law and order. They've been watching cop shows their entire lives. Everybody knows what a trial is. They know what your Miranda warnings are. Everyone is comfortable But with they
1: that. don't know why you have a trial.
2: They may not know why you. Have they
1: don't to. know that it's to find the facts. They just, that is interesting. You don't, but you don't learn that until you get to law school.
2: No. And that's exactly right. But um, it's not unusual for people to really just have no idea kind of what happened. Once somebody gets convicted of now what? What are your possible remedies? Like, how do you undo this? Yeah. And so it's a little bit different in every state, but I'll tell you just to, The principles are sort of generally the same everywhere. So like once you've been convicted of a crime, you'll, and let's assume this is a state conviction. The federal system is slightly different. So if it's a state conviction, you'll have an opportunity to file a direct appeal in your court. And they will review your case and they will decide it on the merits. They will Mm. look to see if there have been any errors of law in your case. So that's the first step. Once you lose that. But not fact. Moose, I'm sorry, what, Seth?
1: Because the lame people, the people without the law degrees, that you're talking about an analysis to appeal a ruling of law, a legal matter, and not a factual matter. And so right. somebody who's, they got it wrong, they did the evidence wrong, That was the wrong facts. Like, how do you, like, educate the client regarding it? So this is mm-hmm. our scope of what we're able to do, but we aren't able to raise these types of arguments.
2: But when you get to the second step, right, after you lose your direct appeal, most states have what's called like a collateral challenge. And typically, that's an opportunity to introduce new facts into the case. So you may have an Mm. allegation of ineffective assistance of trial counsel, house control misconduct, juror misconduct. If you've got your own experts who may have, should have testified at your trial, this is the opportunity. So you you can
1: still challenge the facts. You you can
2: in that collateral proceeding, right? So you can't do it Mm. on the direct appeal, but afterwards, most states have some way that you can challenge it. Sometimes they'll call it like state habeas. In South Carolina, they call it post-conviction relief. They call it like MARs in North Carolina, but most states have a way of doing that. And it's a really important Important part of challenging mm. conviction. I think a lot of people don't realize that it's there. They don't attach importance to it. But um, if you've been convicted, you need to start working on additional factual development in your case so that you can present it. But, and then if you that, then you can try to go into federal habeas. And up until this last term of court, the United States Supreme Court. We did have some additional factual development at that point as well, but the Supreme Court has just sort of that now. We can't do that. Really?
1: So what? was that because uh, the Supreme Court is very lopsided. If anything is two thirds, in my opinion, that's lopsided. You got buttons. Yeah. in instance. So trying to take a liberal anything up to the Supreme Court right now, and we come from an industry riddled with social equity, which is a euphemism for affirmative action that dates back to a fairly famous case from about 2003 written by Sandra Day O'Connor, which I am really worried is going to be overruled this summer. And I think mm-hmm. that the Biden debt is also gone, or the student loan forgiveness is going to be gone. But what happened in yep. this particular case from the Supreme Court and how were? How are the convicted's rights taken away from them, by the ruling?
2: So this is like really kind of wonky federal habeas stuff. But here's the long and short of it. Back in 2012, the Supreme Court said, you know what? If the reason why you did not present your claim, your winning claim to a federal habeas court is because you got ineffective assistance of counsel during this first, like, collateral proceeding, you know, the opportunity in which you could have introduced new facts in your case, if that person was ineffective, then we will allow you to raise these claims in federal court so long as you can show that that guy was ineffective. And so that was really a big deal, because before then, you just didn't have any opportunity to raise new claims in federal habeas. Now, all of a sudden, you can raise new claims that you can show that you got ineffective assistance of counsel. So this was yeah. all, and I was handling a lot of death penalty work at the time, which, and this was the way that we could get investigators back on the case. We could really serve the third. We could present it to the federal court. They would review it. And we were really pretty happy about it. It wasn't easy to win, but at least you had a shot. So what happened in this last term with a case called Shinvi Ramirez is they essentially said, we're not really going to talk about Martinez v. Ryan, but what we're saying is there's no mechanism for the federal court to actually hear that evidence. So you don't oh. get any. In it. the court's not going to take a look at any affidavits that you submit. Is this
1: like a limited jurisdiction thing because they're Article Three courts? Or what type of BS did they pull out of their frocks? And I guess they do call them robes. But it's interesting how, like, you, they're supposed to be the least political branch. And then you look at their rulings and their opinions and they go, it's like they just make it up. And they, they if it yeah. suits their opinions that is political, they will create some type of coherence that they believe is consistent with other opinions.
2: It's true. This United States Supreme Court over the last few years now is very different than anything that we've seen in my lifetime.
3: Mm. Um, Elizabeth,
1: my my friend's case is federal. Lance and you brought the point that like you get a chance to represent. Has anybody ever won though challenging the law itself to say, look, this is. A bad law, period, right? I shouldn't, this shouldn't ever. the investigations and whatnot that happened because compared to what's happening already in the rest
3: of the United States.
2: So if a federal judge isn't in the position to say, I'm just going to ignore the law, but when the court, when the higher courts, either the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals or the Supreme Court comes out and says something is wrong, then a district court has sort of the authority to go ahead and act in that space. And that's one thing that we're doing a lot of in our firm, for example. The United States Supreme Court came out with this new kind of Second Amendment rights case, New York State Pistol and Michael Association versus Bruin, really giving more ro- robust kind of meaning to the Second Amendment. We're using that to challenge federal inmates who are imprisoned on felon in possession of firearms challenges. We're trying to use what the United States Supreme Court is doing in order to get relief from our clients based on their new rulings. And let's just say, for example, we know. So federal marijuana possession is illegal now. does your guy have an opportunity to call 2255 now? He may. Or if you can't do a 2255, he may have a compassionate release petition.
1: Please speak again on the federal release petitions.
2: Yes. So if you've got a change, a subsequent change in the law that should impact somebody who is currently imprisoned, you may be able to file what's called a 2255 and ask that an inmate receive the benefit of that change in the law. Now, if it's one that doesn't that has not been made retroactive to somebody who's currently housed, you still may be able to use what's called a compassionate release petition where you raise that claim and see if you can get relief from the district court judge on that basis. And the United States Supreme Court came out with a case last term called Concepcion that's really made it clear that subsequent changes in the law May be a basis upon which a district court can grant relief, so long as they find extraordinary and compelling reasons to grant relief. So I'm very that's...
1: excited about what Clarence Thomas has now almost said two years ago, last June, about how it's incoherent and it's half in, half out of a policy, and it's just more incoherent now. And every state, every day that goes by, every sale that happens, it becomes more and more incoherent. Uh, what challenge can we put before them where they're like? Eh, it's lost crap. But it's so hard as like it is a regulation of commerce. That is completely mm-hmm. the purview of Congress to regulate. Yeah. But can they come make a like what is the conceivable rational basis that they have to allow this to continue? They want the licensed manufacturers to pay more taxes.
3: <laughs> it's just yeah.
1: weird. Okay. Oh, I was gonna say it's just weird how the Supreme Courts or uh, higher courts don't want to be the ones that like create the law. We just enforce the law, but at the same time they pick and choose things that are enforcing certain types of behavior that you're like that. So it really is up to them to say, this is a good law or bad law. So why can't they acknowledge it? Why can't they say we need to change what we've been looking at? And when you mentioned earlier with the gun, right comparison with that case, does this change any RICO cases? Because that's a lot of times trumped up with their
2: stuff. Just kind of go back to that point. Congress, right, they're the ones who make the law. And then you've got your president who gets to set the priorities, right? And so when the Biden administration does not want to prioritize enforcement for marijuana, and his attorney general should take the lead there and then get his 94 district U.S. U.S. attorneys to fall in line. And that's how all that kind of shakes out. For people who are doing time now with, just to say, maybe their sentences were enhanced even based on marijuana possession. Those are people who would also have some basis, I would think, to challenge What their current sentences are, based on, changes in the law in this area, so it's just something that inmates need to keep an eye on to see whether or not they would be a good candidate to raise a challenge. For people who are interested in raising those challenges, the rule of thumb: this is what I tell potential clients is make sure that your your institutional history is pretty clean. Make Mm. sure Getting doing time in the Bureau of Prisons that you're not getting any disciplinaries or anything like that, that you're taking advantage of any and all programming that may be available to you, and that you also do about fifty percent of your time. And then it's time to start looking at whether or not you may be eligible for one of these compassionate release petitions, and if you can put together a story <laughs> to the court that show that you are entitled. That were deserving of some reduction in your sentence. You should go for it.
1: Is Isn't I mean, part of how the problem much longer that, does Lance it, score have on his sentence? Three, three more years. And then that what I say isn't part of the problem that like to get heard. So when I watched Lance's uh, sort of appeal, and I believe I heard somewhere in that was like because I'm friends with his mom on Facebook and stuff, and so I'm aware of what's going on. And I thought they were saying that's the only time, that was the last time he was going to have an opportunity. Because isn't the issue also, even though you raise a question, if it gets heard, right? Like, they don't have to hear you.
2: No, don't. But that's the appellate courts that we're talking about there. So he may have had his argument in the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. That would be the last opportunity to really challenge legally that, the underlying conviction. But a compassionate release petition is something different. And a 2255 is also different because if the law has changed from the time that his case was adjudicated in the Ninth Circuit, then the 2255 could be a mechanism for saying, look, you know, this, the law has changed and I'm entitled to the benefit of that change. Now, the
1: 2255 is a statute, like USC something, USC 2255.
2: That's exactly right. Yeah.
1: yeah. Fascinating. Yep. And it's federal. So if you're tuning in, it applies to you unless you're outside of the United States. But that's fantastic. And how do we also get syndicated in prisons? We should be brought to you and streaming in prison. Do, how do inmates find out about the services, which you know, they need to know about? Is it impossible yeah. to try to like market? How do you, I know how I try to market. It's almost impossible because I've been cannabis. How do you try to market services for people that are, they can't get your communication? They don't see you on a billboard.
2: But actually, so the Bureau of Prisons is a pretty, it's a closed system, right? So once people know about you, they know about you quickly. And I've gotten, I've done a couple of podcasts and now all of a sudden I've gotten the clients up in New York. And people just kind of know, once you have a reputation for doing good work, they tell their friends about you and you get yeah. phone calls from your family members. And in the Bureau of Prisons, they have a system called CoreLink. Yep. So guys can email and I email with sort of a number of different guys who are in the Bureau of Prisons. And then when I see a case that I think is pretty important, I'll write up like a blurb about it and I'll send it out to them and get information. Because I mean, we're in the very it's not easy to get good, up to date information. And so for those of us who are on the outside who care about the guys on the inside, I feel like a special responsibility to try to educate and let people know about what their options are. Yeah, prison has been a really good way for me to make contact with people who are in there who I think we can help.
3: Because prisoners
1: do have a little intra an offline network. I've gotten letters as an activist. I told you Elizabeth that I don't have a I don't have a grow. I don't do any of this stuff. I've just been trying to advocate for years, right? And so people eventually know who I am. And I've gotten letters and like, Holy shit, that my address is out there. And so there's a network out there. And then but the hard part is finding a lawyer who's right, people are lawyer ignorant because you know, people Tom gets hit up all the time, like, Hey man, I got arrested or I'm going through this thing and Tom's Yeah, I'm not that kind of lawyer. Yeah. No. And then, and uh, a C-Corp yeah. with a minority oppression issue. Oh, yes, go on. <laughs> well, that, that's the thing, though. We have this. Uh, it's like how we view drugs. It's a, all one big blanket. No one understands how it really works or what it does. And when it comes to law, that's another part. And you doing the criminal side, but you're doing the side where all right, you've already been found guilty, but now let's try and get you out. How come now, since post a pandemic wouldn't like the covid just be like a sweeping like like compassionate release hey because these guys are not living in in resorts they're not hygiene everything yeah Yeah.
2: so that's exactly right so this new compassionate release petition like it used to be they had compassionate release petition but like the warden had to file for it and that just never happened so it was with the first step act that allowed defendants to first, were inmates to file their own compassionate release petitions, mm. this was brand new. And it happened to coincide at the same time that COVID pandemic evolved, oh. And the first wave of cases of compassionate release cases that went through the federal courts were all COVID.
1: I imagine so.
2: And a number of those guys. Not as many as should have, but a number of those guys got out, went home, were beginning to see the recidivism numbers now. Uh, and they're low. Oh, nice. Well, you would expect. But The people who were getting, getting granted fashion release were older, so they had doubt of criminal activity. They were not in good health. And they had their relatively disciplinary free. So they were guys who knew how to behave and control themselves. And so they got out and everything's been fine. If anything, what it's shown us is that this over-incarceral society we yes. live in is not protecting us and it's not really working. But um, it
1: is profiting a few For example, you mentioned you're from South Carolina. Are there any privatized prisons in that state?
2: There are not. South Carolina will we contract Uh-oh. with them? We contract uh-huh. with uh, <clears throat> private prisons in Dakota, in why can't Mississippi, mm. and I think we've got something out in New Mexico as well.
3: So you guys are invested, but not
1: any one local. Very, very yeah. not in my backyard of you there.
2: Yeah, I don't think that the private prisons could compete with how low the wages are in South Carolina. I think that's probably it. I mean, we do everything so cheaply here, there really wouldn't be any savings.
1: But it's also not justice. South Carolina, where we have prisoner wages. But you can go home at night if you can afford a home. That's exactly right. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. It's still private prisons is the worst concept, right? Because now we're going to try and encourage like the fact that you pay people because you don't have enough beds filling up in these poor guys in these places. It's ridiculous because now you're just again, policy. Well, mar- yeah. the whole policy, yeah. the tough on crime. I,
2: I, I think take like an unpopular sort of view sure. here because I think private prisons as currently constructed, I think, are really problematic. And we all know that core civic is what it is. But the idea of somebody coming in and actually trying to rehabilitate or educate or otherwise service a prison population and can do so in a way that is more humane than what is currently happening is one that I I would applaud. I think they get a bad rep because they're always trying to do it on the cheap. But what if you had somebody who could do it and could do it well and wasn't doing it on the cheap and you could actually get the state to pay for it? And the benefit would be that you would have people being released who could actually contribute to the economy more quickly, be educated, or we're prepared to do things that the state of South Carolina is not prepared to do. I don't have a problem with that.
1: But how would you structure it? That's the difficult thing. And then you have the money because they're paying for those prisoners. They're paying for those heads and beds through taxes or whatnot. If you could figure out and then. They're given a long sentence, a very long sentence. So they might be there for the rest of their duration.
2: The guys who are doing the really long sentences are still a pretty small portion of the guys who are doing sentences. Those people who are going in through our prison system are doing five years, three years, four years. And so let's just say it takes right now $38,000 a year to house a South Carolina inmate. If I had $38,000, I could get myself a social worker. I could do other things. I could get a case manager. I could get a number of things that would, could help bring somebody back into society. Something other than putting somebody in a box. And that's a lot of money. You can, you could actually hire some people to do some good with that population instead of just putting them in the box you're
3: that's, really right on
2: that yeah. you're violent criminal you're going to always have a reason to have a prison because you're going to have violent crime yeah. most isn't violent most people who are going to prison are not violent criminals and that is just this fallacy that i think many people just buy into and it just doesn't reflect the reality of the situation I
1: believe Fox because News of criminals. No, Fox News the chain gangs existed in prison long before if, if the fairness thing. doctrine was suspended and then Fox News <laughs> arose. And so I don't understand though. It's one of those deals where we're so judgmental. Like we don't want it to think about problems that are difficult. For example, cannabis legalization, yeah. the appropriate policy goals that we should try to have with our criminal justice system. Yeah. Uh, and then we're puritan at puritanical and so like we want people to be punished you did something wrong we have to punish you so everybody get in the same hole but then they're punishing all crimes the same way unless you're
2: inflicting a wound on the community that's yeah the thing that about incarceration that i don't think people really recognize it's like when you Take somebody for their marijuana or their crack or whatever, and you put them in prison for three years. may not seem like a very long sentence to politicians, but that's three years when somebody's not contributing economically to that particular family unit to yep. that to that community, not to mention that they're being disenfranchised, so they're not' yeah. to, when you're, you're just removing them from the fabric of society. For what? And you're right? really
1: feeling You're not really giving them any skills that will help them. You're giving them right. maybe PTSD.
2: You certainly are. Yeah. <laughs> I mean that, that there is going to prison is traumatic. It is inflicting a trauma on a human being. And when their kids and yeah. they're children. And we're doing it without thinking about like what's the benefit here? Are any of those exactly. things safe? Are we safer when a crack addict is in prison?
1: But it's like, what's the point? Like when Lance got arrested, the evidence that was going through being displayed, there was pictures of, they were collecting coats. It was winter. They were collecting coats and food drive, right? This is the kind of business he was running. And you took this guy away from his family and his daughter. She graduated high school and college since he's been in. And so what's
3: the point? What are you doing? What's it's not.
2: No. Here's the problem, right? And no politician has ever lost his job or her job for being too hard on crime.
3: Oh, so horrible.
2: But but it is a, a common canard when somebody is too soft on crime. It is just the easiest attack somebody can make on a politician sort of like you can't even really have the discussions that need to happen about the cost analysis and all the rest of it because by the time just opening your mouth to have the conversation if you're a politician is to lose your next election
1: yeah and then the tough on crime for whatever reason and i think it's because the iq at an average is about 100 is that you need to make sure that people are getting punished and cops are in the street. And so it's all the safety and security and you throw them away and you throw away the key as well. It's not about that punishment that we gave to that person. That made us actually more collectively in jeopardy and had to have crimes happen again, as opposed to that person committed this crime. Why? And then will they do it again? And is there a way that we can make sure that they won't do it again as quickly as possible? Uh, And like, how can you rehabilitate them? But if 50% of the population doesn't believe in rehabilitation, they believe in punishment, then it may explain why it's always this tough on crime thing. And it's just because Joe Biden's the president and he wrote a lot of the tough on crime language in the nineties. Yes,
2: he did. (laughs) Yes, he did. And he's, are we any
1: safer? Are we any safer now? 20 years, 30 years later?
2: No.
1: But I think to Elizabeth's point too, it's like most crime is it's just a, a buzzword. It's a scare tactic, right? We're not out there, like, cracking down on jaywalkers. Like, the, the, those horrible motherfuckers out there just crossing the street whenever they want. But I'm sure that's part of crime, though, right? You know what I mean? There's so many degrees. There's definitely psychos and bad people out there, but for the most part, it's just... I mean, I, I've got two but,
2: guys. Two guys that... One who's currently a client and one who's client a while back. They are both doing life sentences for less than one gram of crack cocaine. Oh, my
3: God.
1: And they
2: were both addicts. Um, they were both addicts. But the
1: three strike deal? Under
2: rec- recidivism statutes. Yeah, that's hmm. exactly right.
1: So instead of giving them treatment for a drug addiction, they took their whole life. Yeah. And the, tax pay- the taxpayers paid for that person to go in a box until they're dead.
2: Thirty-eight. They're
3: fixing their problem.
1: Yeah.
2: That's right. That's exactly really? right. That's we a waste money. Policy decision was made in this country to treat drugs as a criminal issue, as a crime issue, instead of public health. Yes. So that was a decision that was made. And that's why we're seeing what we see. And if you want to talk about it, good luck because the politician who's going to talk about this is going to lose his or her next election
1: but yeah. you could see the politicians advertisement already you'll see like prisoners going around on one of those revolving door spigots where they just probably mm-hmm. in and out of the, co- the prison at the same time and they'll be playing yeah. ominous music in the background yeah it's like a what do you call it a perfect storm of shit because even though biden was part of the like the predatory. Writing legislation, we also got to look at the Reagan. So for some reason, people like put Reagan on a pedestal and think this is an amazing like politician person who took away mental health care, right? All these, and then just say no. All these uh, these ways of thinking are not beneficial to society or America. But yet they're going to put this guy on an altar and be like, oh no, he had great policies. Trickle down, that that really works. But it's both sides. But here's what happened: they, we tried, we cared at one point, and then somebody figured out a way to make money somewhere else. I. It's very frustrating the policy side of things.
2: Yeah, and when you look at sort of our incarceration rates, which back in the early '80s were about 300 to 500 thousand people in prison in in Mm. America, and now it's like 2.2 million. Oh my god. Mm. That's over 40 years, right? Where are we going to be in another 40 years?
1: Yeah. And like our homicide rate is ridiculous. Our firearm homicide rate is just, if you're looking at statistics and all these countries that are like, and then there's one country that's just way up here. That's like our firearm statistics. It's just a complete aberration of every other country that's out there. And you're like, and how many people do they have in prison? Two and a half million. I like, guess this is a pretty good study that prisons don't make you any <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, yeah. though, that, there we go. We've exactly, proven that. Proven it exactly. Right. Oh my god! But, but nobody—you can tell people that, but they'll just go. No, they'll straight, straight back to their lives, exactly. and they it, nothing. I mean, right.
2: When you just look at it objectively, you can just see how ridiculous this all is. How we've gotten here, yeah, And and. But at the same time, it just seems like it's impossible to change it. And, and I think about this a lot. What does it take to change it? And other than just talking about it, I'm not sure. <laughs> because I sure am never going to run for office. It's just the, oh, the worst job in the face of the planet.
1: You just dial um, for dollars all day.
2: they want decent people really want to run for anything?
1: Yeah. Um, What's the right? guy, Santos? It's oh not, jesus out of the <laughs> i don't think that our system set up that's what you're going to get because yeah. only the people with that type of ideology think it's a good get it's disparaging as it, is, it feels and sounds like there is something about america and the process that is still self-sustaining because we are i as an advocate do get frustrated with like you're saying the policies and how to change it but You know, what's frustrating is it's been easier to incarcerate somebody than it is to free them, right? To create this law that actually creates a proper justice, for lack of a better word. But we're also 21 states legal now in, you know, what, 30-some-odd states medical. The thing is, it's just like with January 6th. Like, it came that close to getting fucked. It came pretty damn close. (laughs) But because a few portions of those cogs just didn't knock out, America stays America. God bless the federal employees. The good people that work for our country believe in it. We're really fortunate to have that. But that's all part of policy, too. The thing is, I think, in the early, like, when prohibition happened, it was easier, right? America was smaller. You had—it's like, McConnell's a game master. Most people don't—he knows the procedure, the policies, the way to do things, because there is a method— they don't teach you this you don't learn in school like doing your taxes you find well, out they also don't the teach hard you way. that until you get to college and then you have to major in accounting you gotta go out of your way to learn shit and how to do the adult things here do you do know, know how, how much an llm much? in taxes it's like probably now it's like closer to 100,000, depending on where you go but i could have taken like another i have no idea how long an llm is if it's another two years or another three years it's two two more years yeah i, I, so. I could have gotten i could have gotten an llm which is just another distinction completely Mm in federal tax law uh, i would have been even more in debt when i was done but you also would have been secured in a process where like people would have to come to you to figure out like like even a 280e for most people like me i hate this fucking subtract one from a 7 this is the paper they give me all i want to do is give you the paper that they give me too i don't have to do math for you you we have the numbers we don't we have the technology i don't have to do all this work but you know it's we're still catching that up with the guys. Requires there. Congress to vote for something.
3: Common sense. Good luck. But we also
1: are better off than we were. That's the whole point, though. Like when I was a kid, compared. I live in a state. I got a bunch of weed here. I got a beer here, uh, and I'm not fearing the cops. I'll drive with weed in my car. And I get passed. I don't care. I fucking waved them because that's my America where she's at she's yeah. in South Carolina We like,
2: that... don't do that here
1: <laughs> we're in Illinois we've we make sure that you have it in an odor-proof child resistant container right. and then you have to throw it in your console and you can't have access to it it's sensible
2: so it seems yeah. like how police officers are able to search your car I mean here it's
1: like
2: I remember no probable
1: cause anymore
2: no probable cause no
1: probable cause and then tom can tell you here in seattle hemp Fest, before pandemic when the world was awesome cops would hang out and you'd be smoking around the next to a cop because priorities of what is bad and wrong at the moment take place and not a bunch of dirty hippies join a little clan. prosecution for cannabis is having a real hard time now as and this is the thing. I just, I don't have the container on me, but the most recent trip to the dispensary that I made when I visited my client dispensary that opened, I bought some, some weed. I can't remember exactly what it was, but the, con, the percentages were on the back and it will break down THCA from THC. And so the THCA was about eh, 25%, let's say the THC was 0.01. So that stuff was legally federally hemp. And nice. if I would have gotten stopped with it at all, I would have used as evidence to exculpate mm. myself from any criminal liability, even if I was in South Carolina. No, Johanna, this was tested. They were required to test it pursuant to their license. Call them.
3: Mm. Mm. That's and,
1: awesome. It, it, it isn't. And then all the tests that they use, and they, the cops are, or the prosecutors are putting forward their evidence for what is uh, convicting them for that possession or that whatever. They test for metabolites.
3: The only thing that the statute says is Delta nine, not the metabolites. But it's, it's not the stuff that I do.
1: People will call just because if you say you're a cannabis lawyer, they'll assume that it is criminal, but I I just refer out. So this is working with federal appeals. Have you dealt with any cannabis cases or?
2: So I just. Depends on the part of the country you're in where you get certain kinds of cases. And frankly, here in South Carolina, we are all about the fentanyl right now. Huge priority here before heroin and opioids, the yeah. crack cocaine and methamphetamine. So I don't really see marijuana cases
1: here. Damn. And I, is that because there's not consumption as much or just the law enforcement priorities? Hey, sorry, potheads. We got to go deal with these guys over here with the I think it's a lot
2: of priorities. We've had a series of U.S. attorneys who have tried to prioritize violent gang. We do have gang issues here. And it's still a small district. So, you know, like Southern District of New York can prioritize white-collar crimes and all the rest of that. We are a gang.
1: And that's why if you're going to be committing white-collar crime. Crimes pick the South, where they don't have any ability to understand what you're. It's fraud. true, <laughs> yeah. And so, like Bernie Madoff with the split strike strategy, if he would have been in Nebraska, still be a free man.
2: That's probably true. <laughs> that yeah.
1: is probably, and that's why I will be doing what I do in Illinois. No, I'm kidding. I try to be compliant in all things. Yeah, except I- for the federal cannabis laws, but that's because oh. they're silly.
2: But there was. So, there is a little piece of cannabis news out of South Carolina, and this just happened last week. So, maybe you guys can look at the newspapers. A friend of mine, he's a lawyer in Florence, South Carolina. This was his case, but he had a client where he was growing hemp. So- oh, Carolina. Yeah. And so, our South Carolina law enforcement division came through and destroyed his crops because mm. they said marijuana. And apparently, he just got a judgment for $11,000. Nice. For well, having properly destroyed it.
1: I thought that case, though, it wasn't because they said it was marijuana, but because he relocated the grow. And then they were like, well, you didn't file the fucking paperwork. And he's like, I tried filing the paperwork. And they're like,
3: no, you didn't. Well, we're <laughs> going to kill your shit now.
2: And what made me it, I, 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 I don't know.
3: That's, that's the... Yeah.
2: That is the prejudice towards
1: this flower. That is the prejudice towards this horticultural (laughs) crop. That's it. It's not like we're talking about fentanyl. You're talking about a horticultural crop. If you don't like the flower, don't smell it. But they have to feel like they arrest you because they're just so conditioned for it. They've known this for so long. It has been that they, they, and you read their, their objections to when they try to legalize it, they go, we need that. We need that probable cause. Do you have any idea how many other crimes we found? Because of that, it's like, oh great. So, if we just have an excuse to search you, whether that excuse is warranted or not, do you have yeah. any? Do you have any more crimes? You... To that point, though, I think because cannabis is so common to the American person, you're just giving a pass to search anybody. That's that's what that pass is.
2: And that's exactly right. That's how it is here. If you mm. want to search that car, you walk by, and if you smell. And emanating from the car, you've got probable cause to search it. And
3: so wrong, yeah, th- th- just wrong thinking.
2: You know, well, it was like when they say that this is the probable cause to search, and then you're like, "Did you get any marijuana?" going was ne- there was never any marijuana in the car.
3: I found a gun. Yep, and it just goes against everything goes against yeah. everything
1: that the country was founded on and being able to be let alone that's why right. we're here and that's why a lot of people move west maybe yes. that's why cannabis legalization started out west i don't know yeah i don't know elizabeth yeah. what about your practice like how come you gravitate Like, guy I, I know why i got into what i got into financial and and corporate stuff and some litigation but why did you gravitate toward criminal legal
2: appeals. It's like, I, when I went off to law school, initially I thought I was going to be a prosecutor. I just wanted to, didn't want to be on the sidelines. I just wanted to do fun and interesting sort of work, but I really thought I'd be a prosecutor. So my first year in law school, I ended up with an externship at the Wyoming public defender's office. And I just loved it. It fit like a glove. It was just perfect. And My background's in philosophy, and so I've always been a reader, writer, and just gravitated to the legal arguments space, and it's just, it's worked. It's been really a good, it's been a great career for me. I know it's not, there are a lot of very unhappy lawyers, but I think whenever you can create on behalf of other people, (laughs) and you can stand up and represent people who historically don't have a voice it's a good day and i've always felt just really privileged to be able to walk into courtrooms and and other people against just the power of the state or power of the government
1: yeah and that's so very important for any because i get a lot of law school people like
2: hey can i be here and turn on
1: all right if you're watching and you're in law whether you're a lawyer or a law student That's very important because when you come out of law school, you're going to have a lot of debt and you're going to want as much money as possible. And then you're going to find out that you're a hamster on a wheel. And there is no stopping of that wheel, by the way, Mm -hmm. every month. I don't know if your hourly quota is 160 or 200, but that is your hourly quota that month and the next month and the next month. And if you do that for a few years, maybe you'll move up, but you know, you don't have, you don't have clients because you've been working the whole time. So you, but then you do get your skills, you get your chops. And so I, I was on that wheel too, but I didn't pay my student loans off with it. I had to start my own business to do that.
2: Yep, same year. I, I did public defender work. I did death penalty work. I started my own firm about three years ago. Now I'm paying off my loans. I've been making payments. But I also went to the University of Wyoming where I did not get an in amounts of debt. I really there are a lot of kids who are coming out these days like 200 grand i'm like good god
1: yeah mine was about 150 and 130, yes. 130 to 150 i can't remember exactly 15 years ago but yeah and then you're a w-2 and so you're going to get a cash flow that is the worst cash flow when it comes to tax consequences
3: mm-hmm. uh,
1: and then you're going to ha- and you don't have any jobs yet and so you got to really pay your dues for several years as you learn all this crazy cockamamie thing that is legal procedure and practice and litigation if you can find what you really enjoy then you'll be good because you're going to be doing this for like decades bro
2: yeah yeah and how do you want to do it i've enjoyed criminal defense work but i never really liked doing the trial stuff so now i do appellate work and i didn't really like going to an office so mm -hmm. now i don't so just being able to Figure it out and be intentional with how you want your life to be.
3: When you're like on the second chance
1: side of things. The fact that you're trying to help a guy with one gram of crack, it's just all about the process. Like, I, that's why I talked with Tom about the business side of things because he's a previous banking lawyer. So he has that experience and knowledge base, which translates over you no, know, not criminal law, not this guy. I wouldn't go to him if I got in trouble. No. The banking was fine but then when you're representing banks and you're interviewing and i guess deposing or like examining on the witness stand debtors it is not fun because they're lying and they're sweating and they're red and they're very confused and then and you're just like this is my job making rich people's money they're banks but still it's rich people, Wait, rich this is, people. Well,
2: yeah criminal defense like never people were like, how do you represent those guys? And those guys guilty. How do you do that? I'm like, I have never had a day where I wasn't at least proud of what I was doing. I may not like my client. I may not like a judge. I may not like whatever, but I always felt like I was on the right side. I'm not kicking people out of their homes. I'm not keeping people from getting their insurance. Pie house or whatever. I've always just felt like I've been on the right side. And that's not something a whole lot of attorneys can say either, frankly.
1: Especially considering when you see the main purchasers of legal products, insurance companies and banks. Yeah. Maybe pharmaceutical companies. Maybe out east, you have a lot of family corporations or publicly traded corporations. But when you get to the publicly traded corporation money, you have a fleet of lawyers in house.
2: Environmental polluters. Thanks a lot on lawyers.
1: Environmental polluters. And so you could also just be like killing the planet. Hey, my plastic company client is awesome. I don't know what you're talking about, those trash pandas that you mentioned in, in the oceans. No. That, that plastic island was always there.
2: That's right. <laughs> that it's hey.
1: true. If you look at the cash flows of where legal dollars get spent and who's the yep. buyer of it, And then if you're in an industry and you're talking about total addressable market size, what are you doing? You're like, oh, we should market to these people. Why? Because they buy our services. We're just talking about people with deep pockets with influence. We have that in cannabis too. True leaf. (laughs) Yeah. Cannabis is a good small business cash flow opportunity for America. And if they do it right, but then it's not free. And when you, it doesn't scale particularly well. So when you see all these big cannabis MSOs, they're very similar. If you look at their balance sheets and their stock charts down to the right. And it's not something you really want to be in. But then if you look at cash flows of uh, smaller organizations that will put out a quality craft product more like a craft beer industry, you can have it. It's just that people, they get one, they want two. Now I want five, now I want 10. And so like this greed or like clamoring for more and more uh, that doesn't work to a certain extent in the cannabis industry it'll work to a point maybe not beyond that. which is good though because then you can have a, a good industry but i i hope that south carolina gets it one day yeah they will
2: uh, yeah we've got a legislator down at, out of beaufort county who's been working really hard to get us some medical marijuana so is public.
1: representative mace quite popular in the state or
2: No, no. And if her district hadn't been so highly gerrymandered, she would not have won. Oh,
3: wow. Yeah,
1: Yeah. the gerrymandering we have, too. Like, there are seats that, like, I could, I'm not sure how I'm going to do this, but I'll figure out a way later. I'm going to come back as Jesus H. Christ, like, descend from heaven and take up a residence in this particular congressional district. I explained to everybody, I'm a hippie, I'm a liberal, I'm a pot smoker, I'm a vegetarian, do yoga all the time, but I'm Jesus H. Christ, I'm your savior, so you should vote for me. I would lose because I would, vote as a, I would run as a Democrat, and I would lose by 70% because that's how gerrymandered a lot of these congressional districts are. We really get, it's ridiculous. The people are not picking their elected officials. The elected yeah. officials are picking their voters yeah, yeah, yeah. to secure their seats. Yeah, so we
2: had, we had Joe Cunningham, who won that particular district down by the coast, and then from the time that Joe, when he came into office, he like changed the districts, and then Nancy Mace like ran against him, or yeah, it, yeah, I guess that's right. And then she came in, and so it all just flipped, and then now that is a pretty solidly like rent district, even though. It hadn't been in the very recent past. Wow. And the reason why she's coming across as being reasonable in some things these days is because she's got a swing district. It's not it's it was a Joe Cunningham district not that long ago. And so she she realizes she needs to be reasonable if she's gonna keep the seat. But I mean she's she's another politician who just checks the wind.
1: Yep. That's yeah. what they
2: do. Just say what I is
1: young too, right? She's a younger up and coming. We'll hear more shit later. Yeah. But Elizabeth, but, I really appreciate yeah. you coming on the podcast, 420 Somewhere, where we talk to people about aspects of the industry. And it's a wonderful service that attorneys like you provide. How can people find you online?
2: I've got a website. It's just ElizabethFranklinBest.com so find us there, get our office a call, and if there's anything we can help anyone with, be happy to do it. But yeah, we are firmly in the post-conviction space. So if you are due in time, then, you know, we're probably somebody who you can talk to. And if we can't help you, we'll be able to help you find somebody who can.
1: Right, That's Hmm. fantastic. I really do appreciate it. And if somebody out there wants to come on 420 somewhere, please do get in touch with us. And now, whatever you do, don't leave YouTube. Watch the next video for five minutes. I don't care if you have to brush your teeth or what you're going to do. Just don't leave it because that will help us out slightly on the algorithm. See you next time, everybody.